0: So if you would have encountered myself and my wife, Michaela, uh, the summer of 2012, there's a good chance that you would have found us sitting at a table in Barnes & Noble with two books, baby name books, because that's where we were in life. As we were trying to pick out a name for this baby that was coming. If you've ever been in that moment or you've known someone who's been in that moment, you know that there are criteria when you're picking names for your child. Like it's one thing to pick a name for a dog, right? But it's maybe a different deal for some people to pick a name for a child. And we're gonna go through our list and there's just criteria. Like if Michaela and I had dated somebody in the past, that name was off the table. If we had a bad experience with somebody in high school or middle school so in life, that name was off the table. And there was many times I would find a name, oh, number 613, how about this one? Nope, done. So we went back and forth and back and forth and, and back and forth. And as we've been talking about in this series together, names matter. Like names are important. I think Richie said it so well, The first week that we all have experienced being a number. We all have experienced that. Like I don't think anybody feels ridiculously blessed when Old Navy or Amazon or Gap or some kind of company sends you another email. They're not sending you an email because they know your name, they're sending you an email because you are a number in their system but not so with God. Like he is a God who knows our name. He's a God who's given us our name, but he also has a name. And that's what we have been talking about. And Isaiah, the ninth chapter, kind of lifts up these four titles, four names that are given to God that shows like the kind of God that he is. And what I think is so beautiful about these names is that these names are given to Christ so that they might reveal his character, but they also speak to our wounds. They also speak to our longings. They also speak to our brokenness. So in Isaiah chapter 9, what do we find? We find this prophet who says, like, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and and the government is going to be placed on his shoulders. And he's to be called Pele Yoates, wonderful counselor. And he's to be called El Gabor, as we discovered last week, mighty God. And he's to be called Haviad, everlasting father. And he's to be called Shar Shalom, Prince of Peace. So Isaiah chapter 9, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress in the past. He humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Pele Yoates, Mighty God, El Gabor, Everlasting Father, Haviad, and Shar Shalom, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice. And righteousness from that time on and forever the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this and as we've talked about the nation of Israel is living in great darkness I mean how many of you know that there are different kinds of darkness like there's darkness where you can like sort of see this is the moment when you're camping and you get out of the camper in the middle of the night because you forgot something in your vehicle and you can sort of see, but you can't really see very properly, so you grab a flashlight or you grab your phone and you're fumbling through the darkness. But there's other kinds of darkness. There's, there's a darkness where it's just pitch black, like when the power goes out and everyone is in darkness. It's not just your house. It's not just your neighbor's house. Like there's a whole section of the city is dark. And like dark, 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 dark. That kind of darkness. Like this is what the nation of Israel is experiencing. And everybody is in the same place. And no one has light. No one has hope. No one has blessing. Because Tiglath-Pileser III showed up. And he came through Damascus and he needed more land and more power. And so he captured the northern kingdom of Israel. And this isn't the first time there's been a powerful ruler in the earth who has grabbed hold of God's people. It happened to their ancestors in Egypt. And here we are again, so how many, of, how many of you do you know that sometimes the pain, sometimes the grief, sometimes the hardship, sometimes the darkness is not because something happened. It's because something happened again. Sometimes darkness is multiplied, sometimes it's repeated, sometimes it's increasingly painful because it's recurring. Like here we are again. Like we just stood in this place. And God's promised blessing, God's promised life, God's promised hope, God's promised peace, God's promised power. Because he's the God who says with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, I will redeem and rescue and save. Well, what about now when the darkness falls again? And that's where Israel is. In this time. So he should be called Everlasting Father. This Hebrew word, Haviyad, Everlasting Father. And this is a title that has some baggage along with it. Like, wonderful counselor. There's not a lot of baggage with that. Like, I do not want God to create any wonder in my life, I don't need his support. I'm doing just fine you're not going to curl your nose up a wonderful wonderful counselor or like mighty god uh we don't really want god to be that mighty in our lives in our world in our story like we're doing just fine The, the size of our bicep is like strong enough we don't need him like we don't really bristle at that title or you know next week christmas eve to the fifth power we'll talk about shar shalom the prince of peace We don't really, we don't need peace. We're we're doing just fine. But Everlasting Father does have a little bit of baggage that goes with it. Because we all grew up in different kinds of homes. And we all have different depths of connection and relationship with an earthly dad. And it's all different in the room today. And so when you hear everlasting Father, what's tempting and what's easy is to, to look at your experience on earth with your own Father and to project that onto this God in heaven. And I think what's helpful about this text is Isaiah brings a little bit of clarity to like, what is an everlasting Father? Like what is a what is a father that never forsakes? What is a what is a father that never leaves? What is a father who never dies? What's that kind of father? Like God is an everlasting father is a source of all life. So there's this guy named James Naismith and we kind of view him as like the father of basketball. He kind of is like the source where basketball came from. If you're a fan of the University of Kansas, uh, this is where the basketball program, the University of Kansas, came from. So, Rock, Chalk, Jayhawk, I guess. James Naismith. He's the source. And that's helpful language when we come to understand jesus as the everlasting father like he's the source like it started with him and it ends with him and all along the way it's him it's not anyone else but you might be thinking like hold on a second i thought unto us a child was born i thought unto us a son was given and you're talking about a father And what's important for us to understand, everlasting Father describes his relationship to time. So we have to go to Hebrews chapter 1 to get a fuller picture of this. So Hebrews chapter 1, my clicker's being mean, verse 8. But the Son, so this this is God, he's speaking, this is amazing in the book of Hebrews. He's speaking to the angels. Like he's having a conversation with the angels, right? And then he's going to have a conversation with the son. And here's what he says to the son. What God the Father says to the son. But about the son, he says, your throne, oh what? Oh God, will last forever and ever. And righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You know, like often when you would see like a picture of a king, like he's holding something, a scepter. And it's like a symbol of power, it's a symbol of rule, it's a symbol of strength. Like it would be very different if like a king is on a throne he doesn't have a scepter, he's like holding a cat. Like that would be a different image. He says that the righteousness of God will be the scepter of your kingdom. And then verse 9, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. And he also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Who has lost a t-shirt this year? Who's lost an article of clothing this year that doesn't fit in the right way or something happens in the wash or some member of your family borrows it and something happens to it? Like what happens with clothes? They wear out. And the promise here is that everything will perish, but what you will remain. Everybody's going to wear out like a garment. Like your success is going to wear out like a garment. Your position in your field is going to wear out like a garment. Your body is going to wear out like a garment. Newsflash, it doesn't always feel like you're 25. But he's going to remain. Everything is perishing. But he will remain. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed. But you remain the same. And your years will never end. Everlasting is not really part of our experience. I don't know if you've had the moment of bringing home a like a brand new tub of ice cream from the store and you put it in the freezer and maybe you even like hide it put some broccoli in front of it or corn okay it's just me I guess wow so mean Uh, and what happens is you get surprised how quickly that bottom is reached in the ice cream like it's not everlasting or you like go to buy bananas at the store those last a good 13 minutes so that's awesome like, we've had, we've had this experience. Like we, like, we do not have a significant relationship with things that are everlasting because our experience is that nothing lasts. Like, our groceries don't last. Like, the weekend, anybody? The weekend doesn't last. Like, what, it's Sunday? Four o'clock? Golly, can we get, like, another day? It just doesn't last. It goes quick. How about like a vacation? Right? You get on a plane. You kind of get settled. And you're there one day. And then if you're like, oh, we're like packing up to go home. And you're like, how did that happen? We don't have much of a relationship or a context with things that are everlasting. Because our experience is everything changes. And everything is lost. And everything will come To an end and even worse sometimes even when we're in the middle of something amazing we're we're thinking about how at some point this is all going to end so even when we're parasailing in the yucatan how about that thinking about we're not going to get to do this forever because we're surrounded by reminders that we live in a temporal time in a temporal space in a temporal body And because of that, we needed Jesus, who is everlasting Father. His love for you can never be stolen. His power in your life is never going to be removed. He's everlasting. Because why? Because Hebrews just said it. Because in the foundations of the earth, everything else is going to pass away. But you, O Lord, O God, will remain and that includes the things that God has spoken into your life. Those things also will remain. So as the everlasting father, he never forsakes, never leaves, never dies. So what does he do? I'm glad you asked. Deuteronomy 33, 27, he provides the strength of everlasting arms, like arms that don't get tired, arms that don't get weary. Arms that can just do, let's do this together, set after set after set after set, right? Does not grow tired. Second Thessalonians 2.16, he ministers with an everlasting consolation, like an everlasting comfort. So like we never run out of ways that we need to be comforted by God, and he never runs out of comfort. Just like as he gave manna each and every day to the Israelites and quail for them to eat, his comfort is everlasting. So no matter what kind of space we're in in life, no matter how dark, no matter how difficult, no matter how depressing, no matter how new, comfort just continues to come. Some of you will remember the old, old I Love Lucy episode. When there's this, the chocolate balls are coming down the thing, and they can't keep up, and they're just she throws them in her mouth and in her apron and everywhere, like you just can't stop them from coming. So with God in His comfort, nothing will stop the comfort of God. And the rest of you can Google that later. You can do it now if you want, just don't tell me. First Timothy six sixteen, He performs His work with everlasting power. Second Peter 2 Peter 2.11, he rules over an everlasting kingdom. Matthew 28.20, he maintains an eternal presence. John 14.19, he gives us life that is eternal. And Matthew 6.33, he graciously provides for those who realize that eternal things are what really count. Jesus is the everlasting father, but this title comes with baggage because there are all different kinds of dads, all different kinds of fathers, There's some TV fathers we can talk about. Anybody know this guy down here? Anybody know who that is? Yeah, Mike Brady, right? Okay. How about this guy? Anybody remember him? Huh? Carl, right? Yeah. From Family Matters. Anybody watch that show? Yeah, right? All the 80s babies are raising their hand. That's good. How about this guy Phil yeah Phil Dunphy from Modern Family right okay yeah <laughs> thanks Dave wow Jack Pearson from the show this is us we have a couple more i remember this guy full house yes Yeah, Uncle Phil, right? Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. All different kinds of fathers. And that's our experience too. right? All different kinds of, of homes that we found ourselves in. So why do we need Jesus who is everlasting father? Because some of us find ourselves in a place of great loss. Number one, we need an everlasting father because we are people who live with great relational loss. So with Jesus, you will never experience the moment of sitting in a church and there's flowers up in front and we're sharing memories of dad. We're sharing about the time when he got really mad at us because we were punching each other in the back seat. And the room's filled with people who are remembering what he cared about. And they're remembering what he did with his life. And we're singing all of the songs that he liked. And we're reading the scriptures that were meaningful to him. And then there's a moment when the pallbearers come forward and they they escort his body from the church. And we drive down the road a little bit and... He's laid in the ground to rest, we say. We need an everlasting Father because we are a people who live with great relational loss. And you will never experience that moment with God because He's an everlasting Father. Because He remains when things wear out. You'll never have to experience lowering Him into the ground because in Jesus you have an everlasting Father who is alive. Revelation chapter 1. I am the living one. I was dead and behold I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. We need an everlasting Father because we are a people who live with great relational loss. Number 2. We need an everlasting father because there are never satisfied people. There may be some of us in the room today, we, we grew up in a house like that, where it wasn't enough. Like if this happened, then we were reminded that this didn't happen. Like if we brought home an A-, minus, it wasn't an A. If we scored 10 points, it wasn't 11. And we need an everlasting father because there are never satisfied people. And honestly, some of us in the room today, when we think about who God is, we think that in some magical way, our experience of home has bled into our experience with the way, the truth, and the life. And so because we grew up in a home with somebody who is never satisfied, we think that of God too. That's never enough. And so we go into this mode of trying to earn his blessing and his grace and his love and his relationship. But Isaiah 43 verse 4 says that we are precious and honored in the sight of God. We're precious and we're honored in the sight of God. Anybody watched recently someone hold a baby? Like you hold a baby with a certain kind of care. I mean, you don't hold a baby roughly. I'm not going to do the motion of like swinging by one arm, right? Like, we don't hold a baby like that. But can I just remind the church today that that's the posture that you can enjoy in the presence of God. Like, he holds you like that close, near. Isaiah 43, 4, you are precious and you are honored in the sight of God. And then Isaiah 49, 15 says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. So Isaiah says that, that God pays more attention to us than a mother does to her infant. So interesting that Isaiah kind of leaves the imagery of fathering and goes to mothering because of the attentiveness of moms to their kids. I can tell you when our kids were really, really young, we would finally get them down to sleep for hopefully 10 minutes and we'd like run downstairs as quick as we can just like lay on the couch and hang. And then we're in like the baby monitor stage, right? So it's like always with you. We'd set up the baby monitor and like turn on a movie and then Michaela would be like, shh, did you hear that? I'm like, no, what? It's Griffin or it's Miles. I'm like, no, they're asleep. There's that attentiveness to things. Do you know that God holds you in a way that demonstrates that you're precious? And do you know that the God of the Bible is a God who's attentive to you? He's dialed in to the noises you make and the yearnings of your heart and the desires that you hold. We need an everlasting Father because there are never satisfied people. And so if you ache to matter, if you ache to be noticed, if you ache to be seen, you have in Jesus someone who has always had his eye on you. Someone to whom you have always mattered. So in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is having a discussion with his disciples. And some birds fly by. That's my guess because Jesus starts talking about birds. So I think there was probably some birds that flew by. Or Jesus had just a moment of mental lapse and he started talking about birds. I don't know. I'm guessing birds flew by. He's talking about worry. And he's talking about concern that the disciples carry in their life. And Jesus says, hey, like, will you notice the birds? Are they worried about what's coming to them? Are they concerned to, like, save all the money that they have? And then he says this really powerful sentence that I think we need to be reminded of this morning. And he says this, are those not, are you not much more valuable than those? Like I take care of those birds. Those are my birds. But are you not much more valuable than those? And so I just wanna ask the church, like how valuable do you think you are to God? That's a really important question. Because if you know that you matter, if you know that you're valuable, if you know that you're loved, you can stop trying to perform. You can stop trying to satisfy this God that says, you're already in. You're already loved. It makes no sense to walk inside of a home that you've already been welcomed into and then to walk right back out again. And to walk right back in and walk right back out and walk right, no, you're already in the house. So would you just like sit down at the table because I made you a meal? We're precious. We are honored in the sight of God and you are valuable to him. Number three, we need an everlasting father because there are time bomb people. And some of us grew up with this kind of like having to walk on eggshells because you never really knew where you were at and what was going to happen and what was going to set somebody off inside of the context of your home. But Psalm 103 says that the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. Like slow to anger. Like he doesn't get angry quickly. Uh, I love this in the Hebrew. There's some hilarious things about Hebrew. And one of the hilarious things about it is if you look up Psalm 103 in the original language, when it says slow to anger, Get ready for it. It means that he's long in the nostrils. Don't you desire that? Don't you desire to be long in the nostrils? Those of us who spent so much time in middle school in front of the mirror trying to like pop all this, right? Right. To be long in the nostrils. And you know that moment like when you're angry, what happens to your nose, right? It like scrunches up when you're mad. So if the Lord God has long nostrils, it takes a while for his nose to flare up. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in love. Notice that it's not that he's not angry. He never gets angry. No, but he's purposeful in his anger. He's slow to anger. But our experience of people can be the opposite, that they're abounding in anger and they're slow to love. Number four, we need an everlasting father because there are distant people. And some of us grew up with this. There really just wasn't like an opportunity to be close. There was just a distance that existed in the home. And that's become projected on your heavenly father. But then in Luke 15, Jesus tells this really amazing story and it's a story about a dad, and it's a story about two sons, and one of the sons comes to him and he's like, hey, I know that I'm going to be getting a bunch of money because you got a bunch of money. You got animals and servants and land, and so in the ancient world, if you had those three things, you were doing just fine. If you had animals, servants, and land, you also had money. Not that you had a credit card. You had actual things of value. And I know that when you die, there's going to be a lot that's going to come to me. So, hey, if it's going to come to me, let's just do the thing now. How about? And so, amazingly, the father says, yes, this is the story Jesus is telling. And so, you know, the, the son runs off and spends all the money. It's interesting that spending money is actually pretty easy. And he goes to this, Town, this city, and he spends his money on wild living, but the money runs out, and he knows that the the servants that work for his dad like they have it pretty good, like they get to eat every day they're not treated harshly, and the son is so desperate for food and for belonging he finds himself on this other person's land, when really where he belongs is on his father's land. But his feet are planted on the wrong acres. And so he realizes, well now I'm just gonna, I am gonna go back home. And I won't be a son of my father anymore, but I'm glad to be a servant of him. Even though I've, I've given away the sonship I could be a servant. And it's so beautiful. Scripture says that when the man is a long way off, the father sees him. The father notices him. You know what that tells me? It tells me that the father is looking for him. It tells me that in the eyes of the father, this is someone who is precious and who is honored. Even though he found himself on the wrong land. And Jesus says that he ran. You have to understand in the ancient world, if you were a father, if you were a landowner, if you were a rich person, you did not do ridiculous things like that. People came to you, people chased after you. It would have been a ridiculous thing for this father to take off running. But he does. He takes off running and he throws his arms around him and hugs him and kisses him, even the scripture says. And they put a ring on his finger and they kill the fattened calf and they throw a party. It'd be the 2020 equivalent of it's pizza and ice cream. And when the older brother comes and he's like, Dad, We had like stew for lunch and you gave pizza and ice cream to the brother that slapped you in the face and ran away. And Jesus says that the father says something that we should never forget. The son of mine was dead. And he is alive again. And so Jesus as the everlasting father It's not a God who is distant, but a God who is waiting and a God who is watching and a God who is willing to be ridiculous in the eyes of other people. So much so that he might send his son to redeem and heal and restore and save. I'm gonna invite the band up. So if we're going to talk about Jesus as the everlasting father, we need to talk about finding Nemo. And I don't know if you've seen this movie recently or ever in your life. I don't know if you've ever watched Finding Nemo theologically before. But it is an amazing f- theological movie because it's about a fish. And fish's name is Marlon, and he has a son. And his name's Nemo. And Marlon has lost his wife at some point and so he's raising this fish all on his own and there's a day there's a moment when Nemo goes somewhere he's not supposed to go shocking a child would do that and what happens when that child goes somewhere that child is not intended to go there's a current and he gets swept away in the current And Marlon spends the whole rest of the movie feeling sorry for himself that his son got swept away in the current. No, he goes on a rescue mission. But here's what's beautiful, and here's what's theological about it. Marlon doesn't go on a rescue mission alone by himself. He involves other people. He includes other people. So we meet this fish named Dory. I'm serious. You guys need to watch this movie theologically. It's beautiful. And Dory's broken. Dory's mind doesn't work very well. She forgets. Man, but she gets to be involved in the rescue mission to find Nemo. And praise the Lord, by the end of the movie, when all the popcorn is gone, they're reunited again. And when I think about God, Jesus Christ, as the everlasting Father, I think about a heart like Marlon's. That like goes about a rescue mission, but doesn't go about a rescue mission on his own, but he involves the broken people of the world to bring his lost children home. And when I think about Christmas, when I think about the baby in the manger, when I think about the the child that is born and the son that is given, I just sort of think Finding Nemo is like Luke 15. God uses all of these broken people to help lead lost people home and so Jesus as the everlasting father has that kind of heart towards you and you can battle against that today you can push that away today if you want but I'm just praying that the spirit would not let you do that I'm praying that the spirit would empower you to receive that today is true like there's someone who's lost and God's heart is that you would be used, you would be of help in bringing that person home because you know that you belong. And when you know that you belong, I think you can be of help. James Houston says it takes a thief to find a thief. And at Christmas, we have an everlasting father who comes all the way to earth. So, we might have a picture of a father who never dies, who's defeated sin and death and hell and Satan. So, the next time you see someone in high V holding a child close, would you be reminded that is how God holds you? And when you see an advertisement for finding Nemo, or you're forced to watch it for the 713th time in the basement of Glendale Avenue, would God rock your world a little bit and help you find yourself in that story as someone who's been saved and redeemed and healed so that it might be used for his kingdom purposes?